Okay, morning everyone. Going to be spending some time looking at God's Word together. So if you have a Bible, would you like to uh, be finding Matthew chapter 2? While the buckets go around. It's like festive no man's land, isn't it, at the moment? Well, I can't say Happy Christmas because that's happened now. And I can't say Happy New Year because that hasn't come yet. This is why the, in, the, the Sunday in between Christmas and New Year always has that unique quality about it. I was kind of wondering what to, uh, uh, what to speak on. And uh, I arrived at Matthew chapter 2. So we're going to spend some time looking at the whole chapter. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can read the scripture that we look at on the screen behind me. So I'm going to read the whole chapter, we'll get into it, we'll respond again in worship before Paul can go and get his cup of coffee at the end. So here we go, Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi. He was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he'd learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. 
For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the, Galilee, uh, the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what had been said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. That's what happened after Jesus uh, was born in Bethlehem. We, we kind of like that first bit in some respects, the, the focus on the Magi uh, gathering with their special precious gifts fit for a king uh, as they went to find this child who'd been, child been born. Uh, honestly, at carol services, normally readings don't go much further into the dark and gloomy world um, where Herod reacts with fury and sets about a campaign of, of killing uh, young boys in the area of, of Bethlehem and so on. And uh, As we go through, though, uh, this passage today, that's where we're going to start, actually. We're going to start by, by considering, considering the darkness that's in this passage, considering brutal darkness, or what Isaiah might call thick darkness, the kind of darkness where you just can't see in front of your face. If, you, uh, if you've ever kind of been caving, oh, that's just not a hobby I ever want to develop, really. It, I once remember as a lad with us on a school trip, uh, we'd gone to the Mendips and we'd found a cave and we had appropriate guidance and we'd gone down into a cave and then the instructor said, just turn the light off. And, and in the depths of this cave, with, the, with our head torches turned off, literally can see nothing. You can have your hand there. Your friend can be right here, but see absolutely nothing. Just thick, thick, uh, thick darkness. That's uh, one of the things that hits us as we look through this passage, the darkness that's in the world. Uh, we'll, we'll consider that uh, before moving on to some other aspects, but let's... Let's start here. The, the news of Jesus' birth is disturbing to those living in the dark. When, G, uh, when King Herod heard this, heard that a star had risen, um, marking the birth of a new king, when Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Herod doesn't want a rival. Herod doesn't want anyone to take the throne that he's worked so hard, so craftily uh, to get for himself. Herod is not the nicest guy on the planet. It's said of Herod that um, as his own death was nearing, he knew, given how uh, brutal he'd been in his reign, he knew that no one would be mourning for him when he died. No one would be sad, no tears would be shed for him. He was a nasty piece of work. Um, he killed family members if they threatened to look a bit too popular. He did all sorts of gruesome things. Uh, and so with his, with his own old age, with his death uh, near approaching, he gave a command, I don't think the command was ne necessarily carried out, but he gave a command that when he died, Lots of good people, lots of people from in the nation of Israel should be killed as well. Because that would guarantee uh, appropriate mourning 
in the land. No one would mourn for him, but he wanted people to mourn. So he gave an order that people should be killed uh, on the event of his own death. The, the man is a great example of darkness. He doesn't want a rival to the throne. You think all Jerusalem was scared. Were they scared about the star? Were they scared about a new king? Or were they just disturbed because Herod was disturbed? Don't make him angry. He, no one knows how he'll react if he gets angry. He's a, an ill-tempered, brutal king. So if, if Herod is in a bad mood, it's bad news for everyone. It's obviously dark when we hear about his, his plan and how that unfolded later in the chapter and even how he was careful to gather evidence. You can see that there's a kind of plot that emerges uh, but again, we see the darkness in the fact that secretly he gathered the Magi. He wanted to find out the exact time that the star had appeared. Why? Well, he's kind of got an idea about what he might do if he doesn't manage to find uh, the child himself later. Consider the darkness in the fact that he, would, he gathered the whole Sanhedrin, all the, the religious leaders and authorities, the chief priests and so on, and the teachers of the law, he gathered them together to find out where, according to the scripture, where the Christ, where Israel's Messiah, where Israel's true king who would take on David's throne, where he would be born. Where does the scripture say he will be born? He wants to know. Why does he want to know? Because he wants to kill Israel's Messiah. Can you see like, the darkness of his desires, the, 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 the devious nature in which he goes about things, the, the deceit? He is, he's saying all the right things. He, went to Bethlehem, he, said, he sent them to Bethlehem, the Magi that is, and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. We know he has no intention of going and worshiping the child the plot thickens. We, we know the whole chapter. We see where it's heading. This sinister plan he emerges, unleash, unleashing true horror. Uh, figuratively, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted. You know, murder and fury are not far behind his scheming secret plans and he's not stopping for a rational debate he's not stopping to reconsider what the Sanhedrin had actually said he's going to the Christ the Messiah the king of kings will be born in Bethlehem instead it's all just a way of uh, of helping him to launch the most chilling campaign the more godless a society becomes the more cruel the more violent and the more oppressive to the most vulnerable. And perhaps this is something the nation is learning at the moment, a slow lesson. You can't have civilized society without God. You can't have a good nation without God. We could read, um, uh, we could turn to Romans chapter one and verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. See the order there? 
godlessness and wickedness. You take God, you ignore God, and what you'll end up with is wickedness. Who, uh, wickedness of men who suppress the truth uh, by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Read a bit further on in verse 28 of the same chapter, Romans 1 verse 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Paul there is just describing a society that is ignoring God. It's, a, it's, it's there, it's chilling to read, uh, if you like, the trajectory of evil, the, the direction of wickedness, in inventing ways of doing wicked, inventing ways of doing evil. And every word there, more or less, describes what Herod is doing here. He has no regard for God. Uh, he has very little regard for others. Uh, he is hungry uh, for power. And he is going to unleash cruelty on the most vulnerable. You see, when a society drifts away from God, the most vulnerable will suffer. In this, in this instance, that's children. Perhaps it's to remind us that uh, when uh, at the time God was calling Moses to go back to Egypt because God planned to rescue his people. The book of Exodus begins with children being killed. It begins uh, with uh, Pharaoh's attempt uh, to, to, to suffocate a community of faith and to do that by attacking their youngest ones. We can look at this and be overwhelmed, if you like, by the, the darkness, by the thick darkness. We can kind of wonder for a moment and think, I can't, what, what can we see here in, in utter gloom? We can, we can look, therefore, and think God's people are vulnerable. God's plans look under threat. Uh, the, notice, as soon as the Magi have gone, uh, Joseph receives another dream and... Uh, or uh, and an angel speaks to him in that dream, get up, take the child and his mother and escape. And even in the night, having received the dream, he wakes his family and they go, they run. God's people are on the run from horrific darkness. Fleeing uh, to Egypt uh, on this occasion, uh, rather than fleeing from Egypt. Uh, God's people look weak. The, the darkness seems so dark, uh, but you can see in, if you turn to Revelation chapter 12, a, a vivid kind of symbolic representation of what was going on right here. 
Uh, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1, a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. Highly vivid representation of what's happening in this chapter. As soon as the child's born, evil is out to destroy. Whenever God is doing something new and something special and wonderful, the powers of darkness are gathering around to try and stamp it out straight away in the most vicious way. You see that time and time again. You see that in the Old Testament I just referred to in the Exodus. See that with God's people. See those moments when Jesus had to withdraw on account of people trying to kill him. See that in moments when Paul flees from certain towns because they are wanting to hunt him down. They want to kill him. God is doing something new, but it always looks a bit vulnerable. And confronted with appalling evil, we can ask, oh, what, what on earth is going on? What good can possibly come out of this? This, this darkness is horrific. We can even just wonder, stepping back and considering our nation, and we might think, well, what on earth is going on? Uh, when the uh, results of the, uh, most, the recent election happened, you could see a, a map of, of the United Kingdom um, and, and how in different areas people voted. And you kind of look at the map and think, the United Kingdom, the name is a joke now. Because um, actually the, different, the four different nations are all very different colours. Uh, I think, what, what's going on? a nation that would appear to be kind of getting ripped apart, kind of eating itself with anger uh, and, and disunity, um, fear. We might wonder and not know. What, what are the political secrets? What are the conversations that we know nothing about? What are the statements that are said for right effect but don't match up with the true intention? We've got no idea. What are, what, what are the schemes that are emerging? What are the ulterior motives that might be behind uh, different, different people? How can we tell the difference between someone saying the right things and meaning it and someone saying the right things but having a very different plan? And what would it mean to be part of God's people, metaphorically as it were, on the run? Uh, God's work looking vulnerable. Maybe this is already the case for some of you. You know what it's like to run for your life. You know what it's like to have to flee and to set up a new home and try learning a new language. You know what it's like. Maybe you know what it's like to do that because of your faith in Jesus. Because it was no longer possible to stay in your home nation. You had to run. Being a Christian for all of us on sometimes can, can feel like being on the losing side, on the little team. But 
But look again. This passage here doesn't just present us with darkness. Maybe actually the deep, thick darkness, in a strange way, serves to highlight God's light. Just read with me for a moment. You could turn to Isaiah chapter 60. Reading a few verses there from verse 1. Isaiah 60 verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. See, in this passage, we don't just see thick darkness, we see light, we see it rising. Maybe that's even what the, uh, the magi, the wise men, saw. Uh, in the translation I'm reading from, it says, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. But you might be reading a translation uh, which renders it and understands it. We saw his, his star at its rising. We saw, this, we saw the star, as it were, emerge. We've seen this light dawn and start to shine and we consider this to be special. So we've come to worship. There is a light I remember going away, not into a cave this time. As a family, we went away to uh, Northumberland. Uh, beautiful. Admittedly, we were slightly too close to the A1, but we still had a good time where we were staying. And, uh, and when you grow up in a city like Sheffield, or you live somewhere like Sheffield, you just get used to uh, not light pollution. Uh, in a city, it's, it's never really dark because the street lights come on and there's lots of them uh, and so you, you see darkness but you don't see it like you do when you're kind of like out in the sticks a little bit um, not near a big city there isn't that kind of glow on the horizon of some big town uh, a stone's throw uh, so you don't get all those street lights so you look up at the sky and it's really really dark but because that light pollution isn't there you can see the stars not just like a handful, but thousands, hundreds and thousands, bright ones, shooting ones. I know they're not really stars, but just the wonder of seeing these kind of pinpricks of light uh, in, in the night sky. This passage shows us these pinpricks of potent, radiant light. We saw his star in the east, or we saw his star uh, at its rising. Uh, Matthew comments uh, how the scripture was fulfilled in this. You Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. When we consider the darkness of Herod's style of leadership, his heart and his plans, the light shines really bright when we see a shepherd of the people Israel um, emerge the bright light of God's plans. We see here the bright light of God's word that even in the midst of all this darkness, just look time and time again how scripture is being fulfilled. Any number of times we're being directed back uh, uh, to look at Micah or to look at Hosea or to look at Jeremiah and see, look, this is 
all according to God's plan. However dark darkness gets, God's sovereign control of everything, as someone was praying out earlier on, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't go up and down. It's not that when we can see it's really bright and light, that must mean that God is in control. No, God's in control the whole way through. Even in the midst of utter darkness, God and his work is not in the least bit thwarted. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, in verse 11, Ephesians 1 verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. You see though, the way that all the words are kind of grouped together. Things are happening according to the plan of him who works out everything to make sure that everything conforms with the purpose of what he has willed to be. doesn't mean that every single event pleases him, but in everything he is working to bring about his plan, his purpose. God will reveal his purpose for you being here. God will reveal his plans for our life as a church. God will reveal what he's doing in the nation. And what we see here is God's light is shining. God's ways are not necessarily to raise us up to a place of great prominence and influence and honor and comfort, or not yet anyway. Being in the very center of God's will for your life could mean being on the very edge of society. You see, when the Magi see the light, where, does it, where do they go? It kind of makes sense, doesn't it, to go to Jerusalem. They've seen a star. They reckon it has something to do with the birth of a new king. So they go on a journey, and they go to Jerusalem. Why go to Jerusalem? Well, why not? It's, it's the center. It's the place to be. It's, it's where the king resides. It's where the temple is. It's where the priesthood live. It's where the nation gathers. It's the real heart and pulse of the whole nation. That is the obvious place to go to find the king. But you notice how their journey, the journey is, is not about Jerusalem. It's not about what's happening in Jerusalem. See how through the whole passage, God is on the move. They go to Jerusalem and then they're redirected to see what God is doing in a small village called Bethlehem. See, it's not all about Jerusalem. For, uh, for Mary and Joseph and, and, and Jesus as a child, it's not about getting to Jerusalem. Actually, it's God's on the move again. He's leading them somewhere else. And so God leads them to Egypt. God takes them from a small village to another nation. Years later, it's time for them to come back. Where do they go? They don't go to Jerusalem. Actually, they don't go to Bethlehem this time either. Uh, the Lord has sent another angel in another dream and highlights Galilee is the place to go. That kind of forgotten no man's land up in the north of the country. Not highly thought of. But Nazareth, that's the place for them to be. 
You see, God is on the move. And he doesn't necessarily put his people right in the centre, right in the middle, right in the heart, the place to influence and speak to power necessarily. What are they called to do? They're called to follow God on a sort of meandering journey to here, there and everywhere and nowhere. And that's, that's contrasted to the kind of sad response of the chief priests. The whole Sanhedrin, they know what the Bible says. And so they know the right answer. Where's the Christ going to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. And we see that from the scripture in Micah. And so what do they do? They go nowhere. They stay in Jerusalem. This is a really frightening response. They know what the Bible says. They know that one way or another that Herod has heard about a new king being born. They, they know where to go, but they don't go there. Maybe they just stay Satisfied. If God's going to do something significant, obviously he's going to start with us. So all we have to do is stay put. Don't change, don't move, don't do anything. And so they're passive. Just assuming if God is going to do something significant, he'll start here. He'll start with us. So they make no careful search. They offer no worship to this new king. By, by wanting to be in the very centre of God's plans and God's will and the action, they actually put themselves at the very edge of God's plan and they end up opposing him and his ways. It's possible to know the Bible and miss the point. It's possible to do church but miss God. This true light has dawned and they don't realise. This is a frightening, a frightening attitude. The model that we're given is this small trio prepared to just be on the move. Well, maybe the Magi weren't a trio. We don't know how many there were. But small group, and they're prepared to make a journey to see what God is doing somewhere else. And sometimes we don't know what to make of that and their weird background and their different worldview and their study of the stars. But they are prepared to go on the move to see what God is doing. And what do Mary and Joseph do? Another little trio prepared to go on the move because what God has said to them in a dream. There is this amazing light. Um, and even as we've been listening to in, in, in our time of worship, with what Gareth was bringing to us right there at the end. I says, I love this. I love what we're doing. I love what we've just done this morning. I love gathering. I love, I love the worship. I love tongues and interpretation and prophecy, that, that sense together of encountering God, hearing from him. There's something special. There's something so wonderful about the privilege of being God's people together. As long as we don't miss the point. It's not all about what happens here. It's not all about what happens now. The best place to be is kind of maybe on the edge of society somewhere, is out there, 
I believe for healings here. I believe to see people saved. I believe to encounter the presence of God. I believe for miracles. I believe there's more. So when Ginny prophesies, I think, yes. We don't have a stingy God. Do you know that? We've got a lavish one. We don't have a weak sovereign. He's awesome. He's with us. Okay. All doubt is taken away. Thank you, Terry, for what you brought to us this morning. God is with us. That's not in question. The question is, are we with him? It's not, does he need to follow us? No, are we, are we following him? And for some, that might mean some crazy move to Egypt or Galilee. Why would you want to go to Galilee? It's where God would have us be. I'm believing we'll, we'll know God's presence there. Um, just again reminded of, the, of the, the life of a guy called Bishop French. I'm probably going to bore you if you've heard this before. Uh, Bishop French in the 1800s. He was, he was the first, first bishop uh, to Lahore. He spent time in, in India and Pakistan. The guy learned seven languages or something. Mad. As a missionary. And then he got sick and he came back to the UK. In his 60s. And I suppose he was just thinking, or others might have been assuming, that that's where he would stay, see out his final years, maybe inspire a few other people. But then he heard the call to go to the Middle East to be the first Christian to set foot, perhaps, for many hundreds of years, I'm not sure exactly, the first Christian to go and be a missionary in Oman. And he went there for a couple of years. There's no record that he saw anyone saved in those couple of years. I visited his grave on some forgotten beach. He, just, he went there, and after a couple of years he died. But there are many people like him following in his footsteps. Why did he go? He said, I think he went to be with Jesus. I want to see what Jesus is doing. I want to see what Jesus is doing somewhere else. I do love this. But maybe for some of us, God has crazy adventures. I've just been thinking about it. It's nothing profound particularly. But this year, we're not just heading into a new year we're heading into a new decade. Now I wonder what in God the Lord has for some of us. Maybe it's a new decade and you're anticipating retirement and you've heard the word this morning, don't put the brakes on, don't slow down. Maybe in some ways there are ways in which it's inevitable a slowing down process happens sometime between now and being 115. Um, but kind of in God, still seeking him, still pressing in. Just love that Patrick and Michelle amongst us were considering retirement and thought, what shall we do? And they, what did they do? They went to Zambia, uh, linking in with a church there and taking part in a school. They didn't go to be in the very center. They went to go and see what God was doing. They went to be with Jesus. Where might the Lord... 
uh, lead us. Might not be another nation, might be another town, might be a forgotten place. But God's got plans. And maybe even now, the Lord is, is whispering them into, into hearts. Maybe it's not some massive adventure out there somewhere. Maybe for, the, maybe for some it's about adopting or fostering. See that in what Joseph did. He, he adopted Jesus and reckoned him part of his own family. And then what did he do? His, his job was to protect Mary and Jesus, to love them, to look after them, to be with them, to raise Jesus. There is a light that is dawning. Let's not be totally fixated on darkness and the things that we don't know and the worries that we might have and the uncertainty that exists around the whole nation. What should we be fixed on? Fix your eyes on what God is doing, but recognize this, it will look really small. It will seem probably a bit insignificant, but it will shine really bright. So our, our mission is to find out what God is doing and go and join him. Don't get caught up in all the fear. As we've gone through December and we've looked at different parts of the Christmas story, what is said time and time again? What does the angel say to Mary? Do not be afraid. What does the angel in a dream say to Joseph? Do not be afraid. What do the angels say to the shepherds on the hill above Bethlehem? Do not be afraid. darkness if you're hearing the message of Christmas if you're hearing Emmanuel if you're seeing the true light that's emerging hear this, don't be afraid don't get distracted by the darkness don't fear that so much you can't see the light anymore Because of the increase of evil, some will lose their love of the Lord. So don't fix your eyes on what is unlovely. Know this, God knows how to protect his people. The king and his armies was set to wipe out every child living in the vicinity of Bethlehem. All that the Lord needs to do is nudge Joseph in the night. Now, I know there's a tragedy. The Lord knows how to protect his people. Nothing is spinning out of control, even if we do have to consider absolute horrors from time to time. And see that as this true light emerges, nations are drawn to it. Again, back in Isaiah chapter 60, those verses that I read earlier on. Arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. 
To you the riches of the nations will come, herds of camels will cover your land, your uh, young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. And what do we see in this passage? They may not be kings, they may not have been uber wealthy, but they came, and they came with gifts, and they came with joy, and they came with worship, because they saw the light, and they came to Jesus. Magi coming from the east, how many? We don't know. Their worldview might puzzle us. What were they into? The study of the stars. Where were they from? Somewhere, east of the Jordan River. Arab men coming to Jesus and worshipping him. Maybe there is an echo of the Queen of Sheba back in 1 Kings coming to, to Solomon, coming to the king and marvelling at his, his wisdom and his wealth. But right now, there is, there's a gathering, there's a movement of people with spiritual sensitivity to whom God will reveal Jesus. Have you, have you got eyes to see what God is doing in this nation that is wonderful? Can you see what God has done? Can you see what God is doing? There is thick darkness, but the glory of the Lord is rising, and nations will come to God's light in his people. So I wonder about welcome boxes. Do you know we do welcome boxes? If you do know, do you see that as being like on the periphery there somewhere of church life? There's a few people taking gifts to those who arrive in Sheffield from other nations seeking asylum and seeking a place of safety. And some people in this room that have the privilege of just stepping over the threshold, so here you go, here are a few gifts. Man, you must be going through so much. But we don't know the half of, but we want to welcome you here. And we want you to know something of God's love, whatever your worldview, whatever your system of belief. Whether we see you again or not, we want you to have a little bit of our love. And so it's just, just wonderful, a few weeks before Christmas, to have that event downstairs, celebrate, celebrate the nations. And just downstairs with 150 people, maybe a third of the members of the church, two thirds, maybe half and half, having a Kurdish disco. And maybe that gave us opportunity that, to pray over some food. Oh Lord, may this stretch in the name of Jesus. Can't you see there's something, there's something wonderful about that? And what was it? It's kind of just putting on a party for people that we've got to know. And then you, you just hear a few stories of how people have come to be in Sheffield. And you just, wow, that's incredible. That is frightening. But... We're glad that you're here. And we, we want you to see some light. 
Oh, we want that with Grub Club and Food Bank as well. That theme of just blessing this city with food. Have some food, it's on us. Have a party, it's on us. And we can see that and just think that's kind of just this ordinary extra. Or we can see it as something beautiful and wonderful to keep pressing into. We might not go anywhere. We might be part of a gathering. Don't you want to see what God is going to do? The glory of the Lord out there on the very edge of, of, of what we know. Yes, kind of believing for his presence right here. But let's not seek the wrong kind of safety and security. It's not about forming a holy huddle in Jerusalem, so to speak, hoping to be a prominent person. It's about recognizing what God is doing in many different places. Let's believe him. Let's believe his lavish generosity. Let's believe that small and seemingly insignificant things can have life-changing consequences and change history. Don't want to see what God wants to do in a new decade with, with new stories, with new experiences of what God, God has always had in store. God's always had a plan and that which he's, he's working through.